Father God, would you please speak to us now through your words, we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated. Jesus' prayer is that we would be one. Three times he prays that in this passage. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, that they may become completely one. There is a tremendous privilege of being part of a church like St Andrew's. We are people who have been gathered together from many countries. I was just going through and doing a back of an envelope job, so please forgive me if I have forgotten your country. But as I make it, we are people from Kenya, Nigeria, Cameroon, Peru, Vietnam, Russia, Holland, the United States, the United Kingdom, Syria, Indonesia, India, Sri Lanka, the Philippines, Ethiopian, Eritrea, France, and Madagascar. That's just a few. <laughs> we have little in common. We come from different backgrounds, different experiences, and different traditions. We've been brought up in different ways, according to different traditions, with different tastes. We've had very different educational opportunities. Some are wealthy, some are poor. We have very different political views. We eat different kinds of food, some spicy, some bland. So what unites us? I have to say, I don't think it is our form of service or our music. Our form of service and our music is very English. And indeed, not just general English, a very particular substrata of English, cathedral English. Um, and uh, it only appeals to a certain subculture in England. And thank you for putting up with it, especially if there are things that you don't find particularly easy about it. The thing that, I un that unites us, I pray, is not just that the vast majority of us speak English, we're not an English-speaking club, but that we have heard the words of the apostles about Jesus. They have been handed on, those words have been handed to us, maybe by our grandparents or our parents, maybe from our home churches, maybe from a friend who really loved us enough to tell us and pray for us. We've heard those words about the Father who sent Jesus out of his love for us, and we have put our faith in Jesus. And the thing that unites us is that Jesus prays for us, that we might be one as he is one with the Father. Now, I've said this for the last three weeks, I'll probably say it for another two weeks or so, John is difficult. <laughs> you probably read those words and thought, what on earth is going on here? And if you read it in your home language, you would still think, what on earth is going on here? He uses difficult language that we find it hard to get our heads round. 
And today is no different. What do you make of that line? You are in me as I am in you, says Jesus. May they also be in us. One of the illustrations that the early Christian writers used was that of the woven tapestry. The tapestry is made when different strands of cord are woven together. They become part of each other. There are the two main strands, the warp and the weft. That might sound very impressive that I know those. I only know those because Alison told me yesterday. <laughs> the strand of the father and the strand of the son. And they are woven together. They form the core, the frame. And then those who hear and believe the words of the apostles are woven into those two main strands. We are woven together. And as we're woven together, you in me and all of us, and me in you and all of us in Christ, so something beautiful is created. Or we can use the language of the dance. There are the two partners, one following, one leading, sometimes close, sometimes apart, but they're able to fully express themselves and they are in perfect harmony. And then, then we are invited to become part of the dance. The Father sends the Son who comes to us. We're standing on the edge of the room. <laughs> and he invites us to join in the dance. And if you're someone like me who has two left feet and who feels so ultra self-conscious when it comes to dancing, you probably will refuse at first. But he says, no, come in. And I will teach you. And I will show you and I will guide you. And he draws us in, and even though we cannot dance, he shows us and he teaches us. This is the unity of which Jesus speaks. But we might say, all this sounds very poetic, very idealistic. Where is the reality? We look at Jesus' people, at the people who believe in his name, and we do not see unity but disunity. That was actually true in the early church as well. We read of divisions between Paul and Barnabas, between Paul and Peter, of different parties or factions in the church of Corinth, of a dispute between two women, Euodia and Syntyche in the Philippian church. And today, well, today, of course, we are all united. Not. <laughs> We have many different denominations and groupings of all shapes and sizes, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, Pentecostal, Adventist, Baptist, Independent. We have Coptic Orthodox and Chalcedonian Orthodox. We have Orthodox who say they belong to the Ecumenical Patriarch and Orthodox who say they show allegiance to Moscow Patriarchate. And many of these groupings would not consider themselves to be in communion with the others. And sometimes it is worse. I lived for several months in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. People were killing each other because they belonged to a different religious 
and political community. And I'm not even going to begin to talk about the tensions in Anglicanism. <laughs> so where is this unity for which Jesus prayed? Well, it exists. We are, if we are in Christ, part of one body, members of one another, woven into each other. Whether we like it or not, we are part of one tapestry, one dance. The Bible speaks us of us being in one body, with different gifts, building each other up. It speaks of us as one family. Our destiny is tied up with the destiny of Christ and the destiny of each other. Our identity is tied up with the identity of Christ and the identity of each other. If Christ is glorified, we will share in that glory. And one day that unity will be revealed. And we do see glimpses of that unity in practice. We're united here as we hear the gospel being read, as we pray and cry out to God for mercy, as we confess our sins together, as we hear and receive the word of God's forgiveness, as we come to receive from God bread and wine, as we pray that God will send us out in the power of the Spirit. For many of us, this is the most important key sacred moment of our week when we are able to express what is most fundamental to us and when we are the most authentic that we can possibly be and we glimpse that unity in the practical support and care that people give to each other not formally or officially but people loving one another ago back in the United Kingdom. It has been wonderful to see how the church community has rallied around her in a quite remarkable way. It's little things like that which are a witness to the fact that we are being woven into one another, to the unity that Christ can bring. But of course, we also see divisions. We talk about striving for the truth of the gospel, and indeed we are called to oppose those who are opponents of the gospel of the truth. But much of the time, when we claim to be doing that, we are simply looking after our own interests, and we end up judgmental, critical, defensive, and divisive. Yes, John writes about how divisions in this current era in between the resurrection of Jesus and his return are necessary because they will show us in time who is with Christ and who is not. But that really is God's business. We need to be much more cautious before we exclude others or say that they are not part of us. We leave that to time, and we leave that to God. And there's a phrase that is used by our Archbishop, and that's become quite a key phrase in the Church of England. It says, we strive to be graciously orthodox, with a small o. Graciously orthodox. 
We need to remember Jesus' words when the disciples wanted him to rebuke someone who was preaching in Jesus' name, but was not part of them, not one of his disciples. Jesus told them that if someone is not against him, then they are for him. That if they do wonders or healings in his name, then they will soon become part of him, part of us. That even if someone gives you just a glass of water because you belong to him, they will not lose their reward. And we need to continue to work and pray for that unity which we have been given. The passage we read from John today not only speaks of unity, it also speaks of glory, a glory that is connected to this unity, a glory which the Father has given the Son and which the Son gives to us. Verse 22, the glory you have given me, says Jesus, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. And verse 24, Father, I want them, the ones you've given me, to be with me and to see my glory. Again, this is difficult to understand. What is glory? Each object, writes Paul later in Corinthians, has its own glory. It is most glorious when it is doing what it is meant to be doing in the way that it should be doing it fulfilling its God-given potential in a right relationship with God and in a right relationship with all other things. So the sun and moon and stars have their glory. The sun's glory is when it shines and the moon's glory is when it reflects. Each work of creation has its own glory, whether that's a stone being a stone, an earthworm being an earthworm, or a brown bear being a brown bear. And human beings have their own glory. And we are most glorious when we are living as we were made to live, like Jesus, as sons and daughters of God. St Ignatius said, the glory of God, and I'm slightly paraphrasing here, the glory of God is a human being fully alive to God. But if you notice here in our reading from John, the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father is shared. It is when it is given. It is when the Father gives glory to the Son that he is most showing his glory. Why? Because the heart of the Father is love and giving and when the Son gives the glory back to the Father, that he is most glorious. Think of the Son being reflected in water. The Son is so glorious that we cannot even look at it. But we can see the reflection of the Son as it is reflected in the water. But in reflecting the Son, the water itself becomes alive and it sparkles. So when we look at the Father reflected in Jesus, we see both the wonder of the Father and the beauty of Jesus. And we are most glorious, most human, most alive, not when we take glory for ourselves, but when we give glory to the other person.
Glory is like a stunning bouquet of flowers. I love the tradition here in Russia, which is far, far more than uh, we, I see in the United Kingdom. You know, after the performance, people will flock down to the front to give bouquets to the singers, to the conductors. Well, imagine that bouquet is the glory. The father gives the bouquet to the son, and the son gives the bouquet to the father, and the son gives the bouquet to us. And we reflect the glory of God and we reflect the Father and the Son when we hand a bouquet to another. We were made to give glory to God and to each other, and when we give glory to God and to the other, we become most glorious. That is why glory and unity are tied together here. The secret of Christian unity is that we share in the glory of Jesus. When I give you the bouquet, when you give me the bouquet. John is very theoretical. <laughs> Paul, however, is quite practical. But he says the same thing as John when he writes to the Philippian church, He's heard that there are divisions in the church and he urges them to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. He prays that they will have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He continues, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Don't, in other words, keep the bouquets to yourself. Don't keep the praise, the status, the wealth, the good news of the love of God to yourself. It's when we give glory to God and to the other that we both show their glory and we are most glorious. It's when I live as if it's not about me, not just about me, but about God and you. It's when I do not take you for granted or take advantage of you, but praise you and say thank you to you. It's when I'm not blind to the other, but see the other, really see them, and think about them and their concerns. It's when I humble myself before them, before you, when I'm prepared to say sorry or forgive you. It's when I build the other up and encourage them. It's when I look out for you and your interests, your very best, your eternal interests. And it's when you look out for me and my very best, my eternal interests. That is what it is to give bouquets to each other. And then we, the family, the body, the church, the tapestry, the eternal dance will be most glorious and we will know the unity which Jesus has prayed for us.
Father God, send your Holy Spirit and make us one. In Jesus' name. Amen.